0: Doug and Marty vs. the World is sponsored and paid for by Marty McClendon, Doug Bassler, and Easytvspots.com. Round one, go. Well, there's no place like ACN for the holidays. I love it. Keep going. (laughs) You know, I like to start off with a song and a dance. I'm going to do a dance here in a minute, but uh, this is Doug Bassler.
1: And Marty McClendon. This is Doug and Marty versus the world. And of course you do either a song, a dance or a joke sometimes. And you are actually very
0: funny. I'm actually going to be in a joke telling contest tomorrow. So I'll let you know how that goes. There's prizes. Is
1: that a a dad joke
0: um, contest? or it's just straight. Well, it's a straight yeah. joke telling contest. And, uh, I've got two jokes that I'm working on. So I'm going to, uh, see which one works out better. And, okay. uh, but you know, you gotta, you gotta get the buildup and then the punchline and then the people have to laugh. And then I can, then I can win the prize. I'm not sure what it is. It's probably a, you know, cardboard cut out of you or something. That'd be
1: funny. But, right. Uh, In Trump you know, style. life-size
0: <laughs> cardboard cut out of Doug and Marty. Yeah. Now, that's
1: funny. I'm feeling that way. Yeah. yeah. We, we're up in front of audiences all the time, well, not just on radio, but um, in politics and church and you name it, we're in front of people and we, uh, we're fairly comfortable in the mic anymore. Uh, you or I could tell a joke. It's really about timing too, but have you ever thought about getting in front of an audience as a comedian, trying to make them laugh? That's different. I know we've had some friends that do that or have done that. Have you ever tried that, Doug?
0: Every time I get up in front of people, brother, there we go. you know, me, I'm like to like rolling. I, you know, I just think it's a way to connect with people, Mm -hmm. you know, where, you know, things are so serious right now. And that's why I'm I'm so happy about the holidays. I love Christmas and new years. You know, we get to, we get to have a new, a new lease on life. You know, I'm always saying his mercies are new every morning. They're definitely new on January 1st. I'm excited, you know, to, uh, to see what 2022 holds. Obviously Christmas is a wonderful time um, got, you know, everybody's home for the holidays. Yep. There's no place like home for the holidays. Right. And, um, uh, great food and, and, uh, just, a you know, it's, it's a nice time to just sort of wrap it up. And, yep. you know, I remember last year, everybody was like, Oh, 2020, thank God it's gone. And all that stuff. And, <laughs> you know, I just think that you know, honestly, think that 2021, based on over 660 days of emergency proclamation by Jay yeah. Inslee here in Washington State, uh, like yeah, I'm like I'm glad 2021's gonna be gone, and we're gonna move into 2022 when we can win all these elections and get things back to the way they're supposed to be, Grinchless. I mean, okay. Insleeless. No I, I around, it has to be around.
1: a Biden list or a Democrat list or whatever it may be.
0: Yes. Absolutely. I have a, a something to
1: share though. It was like it was like rocket science, literally. It was like earth-shattering um, uh, awareness here, right? Every year, you and I make well, we don't make proclamations. We do. We we pray to God, but you know, people do resolutions right every year, right? Christmas comes, they're enjoying family, they they splurge a little bit, they may eat a little bit more than usual, pies and cakes and so forth. And we start off the next year thinking I'm going to lose weight, my plan, I'll work out. And of course, in 2021, I did the exact same thing. But I realized that, you know, I had to actually work out more than I was, eat better and so forth. So, you know, my wife and I, for about six months, I say that, literally did. We focused on eating right, working out, and I dropped a bunch of weight. My wife dropped a bunch of weight. We're looking good, building muscle. You know, and then, of course, July him. we're getting busy with summer, and then August and September, and um, we didn't stop working out as much as we were, started eating like we normally would, and, of course, put back most of the weight, which is the cycle most people go through, and I thought it hit me the other day, and I was like, why didn't I get this? I'm 54 years old, brother, and it says, you know, when they say you have to have a change of lifestyle, that's permanent. It's like, oh, duh. When you do these things, it's not a a diet. Is not something you do for a certain time to reach a goal. A diet is something is a change in the way you eat forever. Uh, A active lifestyle, working out, is not you work out until you get in shape and then you stop. It's forever. Uh, A change in lifestyle is a change in lifestyle that goes on. You want to maintain and become healthy. You stay healthy. You know. I know that sounds weird to a lot of people. It should be rocket science or should be like common sense. I should say. But it's not. We're very good at hitting goals. I'm very good at getting a push-up challenge done. I'm very good at hitting a target, winning a race, or doing whatever it may be, losing weight. But then you go back to the way you've always done things. And, of course, the results are reversed. So I want to encourage people as they make their resolutions for the next year. It really is about not just a short-term change. It is a long-term change. Like coming to salvation in Christ, Doug, that's a long-term change. That, that changes, you'll go back to where you were. You, you're in a new creation. You're a new life. When you uh, make a change to be healthy, uh, long-term thinking, saying, okay, this is why I'm making a change for my healthy living over the next 30 years. It's not about the next six months getting to a certain point. It's about living this way forever. What do you think? Just, I think like, you're wow. crazy. I, 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 don't even, I don't even <laughs> want to even
0: go there brother. No, I did, you know, I did Uh, in 2020 and really for most of 2021, I cut out the sugar just one day a week. I would do sugar one day a week. As we got later into 2021, I shifted and, and you know, didn't become so, so tight on that. But I noticed that after a year of no sugar or very little sugar that I kind of lost my sugar addiction. Right. So I don't, that, that compulsion to go, you know, grab cake and ice cream and whatever, uh, is not there. And then, uh, and then I find that when I do have, you know, a dessert, you know, like this time of year, you get a good Christmas pie Mm -hmm. or something. Right. Um, you appreciate it more, you know? So I think it is right. I think, I think that's right. If you can get to the point where you're, You know, I, I, that's, that's something, because I think if you get to six months, you should, it should be like there, right. You should be ingrained. It's like, you almost have to like, yeah, I don't need to work. I mean, working out, dude, I get working out. I know that it's like, "Ah, I can do that tomorrow. Procrastination is the killer of, of change though. (laughs) You know, I, like I could do it later and then, uh, you know, then later, you Mm know, then it's later again. And then it's later again. yeah,
1: Yeah. 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 Both Dwayne The Rock Johnson and Arnold Schwarzenegger, two different eras, big, beefy, buff dudes. Now, their rule of thumb is no more than two missed days, right? Never yeah. go three days without working out. And that's a good, good rule for those. But they're obviously in good shape. Because if you go one day, okay, fine. Two. If you go third, you're never going back. It's like this consistency goes away. But to what hit me, though, was, we're very good at these short-term goals. I need to make sure that this is just not a goal that I'm changing my behavior to reach a goal. I'm changing my behavior, period. It's just changing behavior because it's healthy, right? Yeah,
0: you know, again, you're meddling and I don't want to have to, yeah. On conversation because <laughs> you're making me very uncomfortable, brother. No, it's good. Uh, you know, and, and, and I want 2022 to be amazing for all of our listeners Yes, and for you brother and for your family. And, um, and I think you're exactly right. Why don't we, you know, what would we do? What would we try if we knew we couldn't fail? And, uh, that's, that's what I'd really like to see. Like, you know, they, they call them like stretch goals, right? Like if mm-hmm. I could really just do what I really, and then, and then just get in there. And you find out that that consistency and that consistent change of activity will result that net, that net result will be, um, amazing. And I think, you know, another real problem here, and I think this is really kind of ties in with what you're saying is that, um, we want stuff fast, right. And a, Mm -hmm. in a lifetime change is a lifetime. It's a, it's a consistent, slow thing. And if we could do that, like, Hey, If I could lose, you know, 15 pounds or whatever, you know, I'm not a big guy, but uh, if I could lose that over the next year, Mm -hmm. then I don't have to like, oh, I got to do it by the end of February or something like that. Then you do all this radical stuff that's kind of unnatural, but hey, if I start eating better, cutting out the, so what happened when I cut out the sugar was I lost 10 pounds. Mm -hmm. It didn't happen immediately, but you know, like six months later or whatever in the summer, I'm like stepping on the scale I'm from 185 to 175. You know, that's so great. I'm like, okay. And I didn't, I didn't think about that. I wasn't really like, you know, that wasn't the point, but I also noticed I didn't have as much joint pain and all, you know, there's yep, some other yep, pain.
1: Yeah. But well, that, you um, said you nailed it exactly right though. When you make sort of radical efforts like me, like I'm going to do, you know, 100 hundred pushups a day. I'm going to run five miles a day to get to a certain point. That's not sustainable for me. And yet if yeah. I knew if I walked every day, a mile, walk my dog and, and worked out three times a week, that's sustainable. Well that's why the, that's why the yeah. Fitbits
0: are good, right? Because right. it tells you to get up, and move, and you know, you want to get your what however many thousand steps a day and all that. I mean, I always treat it more as a suggestion. Right. <laughs> it's real, a guideline. I may not be the greatest Fitbit <laughs> person, but I do try to work out four days a week because it's that's the goal on my Fitbit. Right. So I, you know, like you said, no more than a couple of days, you know, that you work out. And one of those days, one of those workouts is probably more like a nice brisk walk. You know, it's not mm-hmm. like on the on the universal gym or whatever but at any rate well enough about enough about us um, you know the, as we're going into as we're going into this year this new year um, I just want one one little thing that I think is so important is that whatever your resolution or your goals or your your commitments for the year is write it down just write it down and then look at it once in a while you know put it on the bathroom mirror or you know, somewhere on your desk or something, right. Where you're going to see it once in a while. Mm -hmm. And I noticed Marty, whenever I write it down, I've gone back in years past and it's like everything on the list, maybe not, maybe not a hundred percent, but like eight out of 10, right. Mm -hmm. You get it when you write it down. So there's something powerful in that. Just write it down. And this is what I'm believing God for. This is what I'm believing, you know, that I'm going to do. And so, uh, and I'm, I'm preaching to the choir. I'm preaching to myself.
1: Yep. I got to get
0: my tablet out and write it down and uh, let's come up with it. And then, uh, you know, maybe we ought to have a new year in July show this year and see how we're all doing.
1: I love it. A follow-up, but yeah. you're right though. When you write things down, something about your brain organizes your thoughts and you commit to it, which is fantastic. So write it down, review it and proclaim it. My, my gosh. Right. If it's, it's Let's go uh, Brandon.
0: Right? Let's go, Brandon. <laughs> you know, get out there and <laughs> succeed. That's one thing I got out of the Biden administration—is that. you
1: know. Oh my gosh, that is funny. Yeah, um, yeah. Lots of Well, stuff hey, talk let about. me. Uh, yeah, so yeah.
0: so we had a we had an auction mm-hmm. back in uh, December. Do You remember way back in December? Way back. Uh, yeah. What was early that? in the month? Ye- yesterday, yeah. <laughs> and uh, we au- offered an opportunity for someone to be on the program with us they get to like run the show which is why we wanted to get our new Year's stuff out of the way right away and my good friend alona kearney won the auction she paid millions of dollars to be on the show with us and we wow. and we didn't get any of the money because we donated it to the club the east side republican <laughs> club but alona Thank you, for, thank you for supporting the club.
2: Thank you for winning the auction. And welcome to the program. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. <laughs> well, we're excited to
0: have you as well. You know, you have a, uh, an amazing life story, and I, I'm hoping that you'll share some of that. You've written books. You've had life experiences that are great. And so, um, tell, us about, tell us about yourself.
2: Well, I'm a Florida girl. So howdy, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I love my, um the sugar part. I would have a hard time cutting out because I love my Southern sweet tea. I make the best people call me and mm. ask about coming over. Did you make some sweet tea? If I say no, they're not, they're not coming over.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh. I love some sweet tea. Fair sweet tea, tea
2: friends, <laughs> yes. Sweet tea
1: is nice. My dad's the same way all the time. Sweet tea. Go ahead. Yes.
2: Yep. Well, well, I grew up um, in the '70s because I'm a '70s baby, and you know, in the '70s, um, biracial marriages and couples really wasn't accepted. So my um, My experience of childhood was, you know, pretty much abuse on both sides, but more for me from the Black community, because that's where I was raised. So I really wasn't accepted as one of them. And, um, you know... Throughout my childhood, I grew up, I was depressed, suicidal, in and out of the hospital for suicide and depression. At one point, the doctor, when I was 13, said that I was labeled the deepest depression, that they couldn't help me. So I was going to be on medication for the rest of my life and walk around as a zombie because that was the only state that they could keep me in to not commit suicide. So um, I grew up, I joined the military. Um, when I went into the military, most people say that they're going into the military because they want to get the free college, have a secure job, all of those things. Well, my pers- purpose for joining the military was because I have access to guns and be able to maybe finally c- commit suicide. But while I was there, that wasn't the case. It's like my whole mind flipped into battle mode mm-hmm. because, you know, you have the hell week and all of that. And it was like, I'm a fighter, you know? And, oh, no, you didn't. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> right. Go ahead. So it's like, I forgot all about my purpose of trying to commit suicide and I'm over here focused on fighting back, arguing back. Um, you know, my my drill sergeants probably thought I was like one of the, my one drill sergeant told my mom that the military couldn't make or break me, make, and I don't think permanent party can help her and whatnot, but... When I look back over all of those things of the different people who were, you you know, like strategically planted in my life, that mm-hmm. planted little seeds here and there that I thought were not seeds. They actually were things that actually later were became aha moments for me mm-hmm. in life to saying, oh, I really didn't have to be depressed all of this time with this down because it was not... Everything was not really what it was. I was mm-hmm. just living in really a state of fear and terror and torment growing up. And even the whole thing of, um, you well, know. Well,
0: I, I say that all the time. You know, worry, yeah. w- worrying works because 99% of the stuff I worry about never happens. So, it must be working.
2: <laughs> right. <laughs> it was like, what, did I, what was I worrying about ever since I was a kid in elementary? Yeah. You know, that I was going through all of these things but the enemy plays all of these tricks on your mind and it's kind of like the movies when you a person has these superpowers and the after a while that person who has a superpower realizes oh the reason why you keep on threatening me and making me afraid and telling me to give you the key is because you can't take this key from me unless I give it to you and that's how it really is for us in life the reason why we're being tormented and worry and stressed out and afraid and all these fear. Things is because the enemy can't take something from us unless we give it to them. And that's why when people are ready to commit suicide, it needs us to make that jump because we're giving it to them. So.
1: (laughs) This is a big issue, especially with our youth over here as well. Every year it seems like that we have a number of kids commit suicide and depression's part of that thing, but not even, even people that aren't diagnosed as depressed, you know, commit suicide. And so it's scary. So you were talking about growing up under, you know, the conditions you were, right? Being abused on both sides. You were, uh, your parents were mixed race. Okay. So you you weren't accepted by anybody. And that now it's gotten a little bit more accepting now, but I understand that. And so, but a lot of that though, is that that whispering of the enemy, right? Saying, oh, you're not good enough or they won't like you or you're different, right? I think all kids deal with that in some ways. Um, were you guys were the family? Were you guys Christian back then or were you just uh, d- didn't have that I'm just I'm curious. Uh,
2: My parents were um, pastors okay. And so, you know, when you're PK kids, you have this stigma mm-hmm. of you have to act this way, you have to behave this way. Any little thing you do gets pointed out and it gets exaggerated and then you're in trouble by your parents and it's like, oh, you have to live this way. And so those things even played a um, part in, in my um, life. In fact, in my book, Pure, Purely Unadulterated Me. I write about like I just really like go in and express how I felt at those times like I would tell God that I hated him why did you even let me come in this life if if every single thing I'm doing is I'm going to hell for because that's how I always felt like I was living in this state of condemnation when you're when it says there's therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus I was like well I'm always feeling condemned mm-hmm. so how you know how why am I here why don't you just go ahead and take me? Why don't you just let me die? You know, right. um, I, I OD'd on my grandma's, um, her cancer medications when she had passed away. And in the middle of the night, I woke up vomiting. They were coming out of my nose, my mouth. They were coming out of everything. And I went deaf for a whole year. And so my mom was like, that was God's way of pumping it out yeah. of me because yeah. I had overdosed on everything. And so that whole year I was deaf. And then one day, One night during the, um, you know, the overnight service for New Year's that they have where they're praying all night, my ears just popped and I could hear everything. Wow. Wow. I thought that I was going to be deaf forever. <laughs> but think about that
1: too, as, as a young, you know, obviously your parents are pastors, but you're, there's this rebellion, uh, obviously, because things aren't going the way they are, right? And it's like, why yeah. would God allow this? And yet we know that God doesn't condemn, it's the enemy of our soul. At the time, yeah. you don't know that though, and you're, and you're dealing with right. this. Did you have siblings going through a similar thing or were you an only child? I, I'm not sure.
2: Uh, I'm the oldest of five. Okay. So, okay. so in, our, in, our, um, in our family, I know that, my mom she actually lived in a lot of fear so whenever she did things you know as an adult now looking back and being a parent myself when it came to correcting my kids I would have to stop myself and I could say oh I understood why my mom did it doesn't mean that it was right but she came from this place of fear and that's what provoked her and I don't ever want to teach my children out of fear or raise them in fear Amen. so it's like i would have to stop to try to break that generational curse of yep. uh, way of yep. doing things and stuff so it the first part of my adulthood i had in a strange relationship with my with my um mom mm-hmm. because of that but Later in my um, my life, when I started learning forgiveness, I actually learned it through my kids because that's really when I actually started overcoming a lot of suicidal thoughts mm-hmm. was when um, I had my kids. I was like, well, I don't ever want my ki- if I commit suicide, I don't ever want my kids to be raised up. With the, under the same fear and repeating that. So I have to be here. So eventually one day I'm like, I didn't even notice that I was, wasn't was thinking about suicide. I was thinking more of how to help my kids. Right. And then one day, because I what I would do was take Bible verses and try to teach my kids in a kid way. Right. So I took the Cain and Abel story because I used to always hate God for the Cain and Abel story. So when I took the Canaan and Abel story, I told my kids, I say, I want you to go to your room, get me your favorite toy and so whatever your favorite toy is i'm going to keep it you don't get it back but you're going to give me your favorite the best that you really love and and things i was trying to teach it to them in their eyes right and really i ended up getting the lesson because both of my kids my son he brought me his favorite toy my daughter uh, and it was funny because he gave it to me he was kind of crying he's like yes yeah, my favorite toy but I really want you to have it because I really love you so my daughter she brought me her doll with the hair cut off and it was written all <laughs> over the face and I felt I said, is this your favorite toy? She's like, no. She said, but it was my favorite toy at one point, but it's still a little bit of hair left for you to cut off. (laughs) I was like, the point is for you to bring me your favorite. She says, oh, she said, but it can be your favorite. (laughs) And so I ended up crying myself. And and I told her, I said, it wasn't her. I said, it was me because I always could never understand why God didn't just turn around and kill came, like mm. torture him. You know, I was like, why he just didn't do this? What kind of God is he that the one that loved him? He just let that happen. There's no justice. And, and in that moment, I could not see where I would bring harm to my daughter because she did not give me her best, you know, right. right. <laughs> or that, you know, like she would have been jealous of her brother or anything. And I was like, you know, I judged God. Because I could not understand, but now that I'm a parent, I can understand from that place of, so whenever I will do the different Bible stu- studies with them on their level, I will always end up learning a lesson when I thought I was teaching my kids. So Isn't that the case? Yeah, so that's good.
1: good. Yeah. So, <laughs> that, I think that's an important thing as well. All throughout scripture, God talks about the generational, you know, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? Um, yeah. You have through our kids, you know, the same like you went before the whole thing was when we had children, our whole focus changes. We would do yeah. anything for our children and we would get a glimpse of the father's love for us, right? And sometimes they got to learn and sometimes it's, they don't understand why they have to learn. So I think this is beautiful what you're saying and the the process of growing up. And that, and I love the fact, and some people might go, well, she's angry at God or hates God. No, God's a big God. He wants you to Say, hey, hey, I don't understand this. I don't get this. This shouldn't be right. And allow him to use these situations to draw you close to him. I just love it. So keep on going. Great.
2: When I'm like, one thing that I also learned through my kids was, was forgiveness. Mm -hmm. And um, they went to this summer camp one year and I was sitting there watching and the guy, he gave us a Trojan horse and he said, this is unforgiveness. And I'm like, what is he talking about? (laughs) So it's like you open the Trojan horse and out falls out all of these things, bitterness. So it's like when you're holding on to these things and we go around, we say, oh, I'm okay. Oh, that was not a big deal. Rather than addressing it, Mm -hmm. it starts to build up and it and, and becomes unforgiveness and all of these other things start um, pouring out of of rage and anger. It comes out in, you know how they say, you're just boiling over and burst and things. And so I learned um, from that about how to be angry, but sin not. And mm-hmm. nobody never, it's always like, how do you separate the two? Because I was always um, like, you know, going off on people. I will go to row rage, anything it's like oh you did this to my child oh and Mm -hmm. people were like there is like it would go from being they um i have a right to be upset but then the way i go to being upset be to the third degree that everybody feels bad for the other person now the other person is a victim is like how do i control this where i'm not teaching my children to be afraid of me because Mm -hmm. i feel like i don't have justice and i um when I started writing my book, Purely Unadulterated Me, what I started doing was I started writing every single thing that I was doing that was ending me up in anger management. Mm-hmm. And um, and I started writing, i would write about all five senses, like how I feel if my heart is racing. And then I started connecting those emotions to the first time I would ever feel it in childhood. And then I started realizing this is the first time where this was implant this seed was implanted in me and mm-hmm. I started hating people. I started hating, you know, not just white people, but black people because I'm being mistreated by both sides and things. Mm-hmm. And so when I started addressing those and I said, well, I'm going to rewrite my future. This is how I really want to react. I want to react in love and forgiveness. And what does that mean to me? I never really understood what it meant to me because in church, they would always say, just forgive, forgive and forget or get over it. And it's like, I would be so mad and angry and that would make me go home and try to commit suicide cuz I was like maybe I'm not good enough that I can't even get over it like what's mm-hmm. wrong with me but I found that forgiveness is actually like like if i have this i buy a house and it has paint on the wall i don't like that paint i have to accept that pain is there cuz it's there however i have the choice to change that paint mm-hmm. if i if i keep it there i'm accepting it if i change it then i'm i'm making a change of progress we never been taught as children how to set boundaries with, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if somebody does us wrong, that's okay. You can still forgive them and go on and learn how to, I put people in categories, you know, but I tell, right. tell my kids, but I forgive them like a thief. I'm not going to leave my purse around them. Doesn't mm-hmm. mean I won't be around them because I still have to be that example and let my light shine right. for them to change, but I'm not going to leave my purse around them. That's not wisdom. Wisdom. And, exactly right. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah. So it's like yeah. you learn to set boundaries with people I, and that people don't cross.
1: I love that where you're going with this as well. Uh, and what you've been thinking earlier about all the things where you operated out of fear. Your parents operated out of fear. You operate out of fear. You try to stop doing it. And then it's just like the lesson. Okay, forgive them. Just for, how's that happen, right? Well, how do you fear not in a world that all the stuff's coming at you? And yet the Bible 365 times says fear not. Because it's the opposite right. of faith. Or to have faith, and so this is that growing process. Like, okay, there's more to it than that. It's how you right. draw near as you learn, as God opens your eyes and your heart as well, and realizing that when you hold on to unforgiveness, right, it's not hurting yeah. them; it's hurting you, right? And it's a poison. Yeah. And so, anyway, go on. But thank you. That's really great how you're bringing this about.
2: And that was a good point that you just made t- there, too, because I learned by reading this book by Brene Brown. Uh, mm-hmm. I can't remember which book, but she said the opposite of fear is not um, is not doubt. Mm-hmm. And it's, um, you know, faith and love. Yep, so that's right. So it's like I always thought it was the doubt because it's like everybody's going to have doubt. You have to be challenged in those in those things so i was like that was like it, another interesting thing to me that i learned in life was like, oh so it is okay to have doubt but it's what mm-hmm. do you do with that doubt
1: what do you choose want, yeah. yeah yeah
2: and and so um you know and those are things that i've like everything in my life that i've um because i just gave a speech last night at the american legions for some scholarships that i won nice and And I told him, I said, I, when I look at who I am and always wonder who I, what my purpose in life was, I look at everything that back in my pattern of life, everything I've done has always been surrounded around forgiveness. And I believe that that's my purpose here in this earth is to, like, we have life coaching. I coach people on forgiveness. So my, um... My, um, I've done events like breaking the barriers of racism when I was in high school, because everybody always say, oh, they don't like us. The white kids always in this crowd. I said, well, perhaps they're in this crowd because they are family. They know each other just like we're not proud. Why don't you just get up and just go walk and sit at the table and say, hey. I see you guys are playing this game. Can I play too? I'm pretty sure they'll say fine. So I did a um, a um, breaking of barriers of racism um, variety show where everybody got brought different things from their culture and we shared it and we all had fun. And then people started like, oh, I'm coming to join your club kind of thing. And then when I had my kids, I did celebrating our differences. Everybody bought different cultural foods. And then in my previous school at Renton Tech last year, right before the pandemic happened, I did the first black history program there, but I called it the black Phoenix. And it was not about black history as in blacks in history, but it also brought in whites who have helped um, in slavery. Help, I said, because it's not just our history, it's all of our history. It took all of us together to work, to get to where we are. And um, it's human history. Right. It's human
1: history with our different parts in it. It, History
0: is his story,
2: right? (laughs) It's got, it's a history of what
0: God is doing. You know, the human race, we're God's children and, and there's, there isn't, there isn't multiple races. There's the human race. Uh, There's, there's different tribes, nations, tongues, families, but we're all human. We're human race.
2: (laughs) Yes. And, and and I, and I look at how everyone's saying we want reparations. We want this, and I'm like, we have to start to change our mindset and start stop pointing at some, somebody. First off, I always say that if I did something wrong to somebody else, I would hate for somebody to try to come and attack my kids for something that I did. I will be an angry parent first off, but you know, you're know you only gonna repeat a, a, his, a, a cycle. Now you can do that to that child, that child's gonna turn around and do it to your child. And when does it ever stop? Like with the um, police, um, defund the police. I told mm-hmm. them, I said, I had this, ex- I went down to Chaz and they <laughs> they <laughs> thought I was one of their guest speakers. So I spoke. <laughs> oh, no,
1: that's funny. Good. <laughs>
2: yeah. And I was like, how do you feel about defund the police? I, so I told them a story about where I was, um, uh, a neighbor was trying to run over a black kid in my neighborhood and re- was yelling out his car, racial slurs and things. And the police came. So if all the neighbors, we were all sitting on our porch witnesses and the police came talking, they said, oh, he's drunk and things. So I get up, I get up off my porch and I'm in the police face just yelling at him, saying that's a 12 year old child, he's an adult, blah, blah. blah. And the police is like, ma'am, you're aggressive, you need to back up. So I backed up, I'm still yelling, but then they picked me up and start swinging me all over the ground. And so wow. everybody's yeah. in the neighborhood, it's like, "Nap, I'm mad and things. So I just be quiet because I'm like, I'm trying to make sure you release me. But the next day I go to the police station and I'm just there yelling, I'm making threats. I said, I will be, you know, I would burn the city down myself if you ever do this, you know, kind of thing. Now they could have arrested me because I'm making all these threats in, in the mm-hmm. police station and things. But instead of doing that, the sheriff comes out and he like, he's like, come talk to me. Let's mm-hmm. see if we can you know find a solution. And then he invited me to come to the different police when they have their meetings that the public is welcome to come, mm-hmm. express their grievance and see if there's a way that they can work. And from that day, whenever like the police or the sheriff would see, like my kids would have their little kid um, yard sale, the sheriff would come up and buy something from them. The, right. kid, the police see my kids in the stores, they would- you know, buy them some candy out of the store. So my my kids, I told them um, at Chaz, I said, my kids do not know what it means to be racially discriminated by the police because the police, they have a relationship with the police. And sometimes, you know, these people, when they get off work, I know we expect them to come to our community and do all these things, but they have families too. Why don't Mm -hmm. we give the courtesy of saying, let's build a relationship with them so they know our faces and that we respect them as part of our community because that's how that situation come that came about for me learning rather than say you, you, you. Yes. Why don't we look at the other three fingers pointing about back at us and saying, yep. what can we do?
1: That's fantastic. The especially in is, light light up today. Yes, Doug.
2: Yeah. Just the, the, the thing that
0: uh, the the overarching message that I feel like I'm hearing from from Alona is people are people. And if you have a relationship, like you talk about, hey, the white kids are over there, the black kids are over here, why don't we go over there and talk to them? Right. And the, how many things could be solved if we just had a conversation? And mm-hmm. and um, and then you start to realize, wow, I, I like this person. And you know, mm-hmm. this person's, you know, got experiences and things like that and that I can learn from and and that person's like I like them they're nice and um that's the thing that you know I see really shining out of you Alona is this idea that hey why can't we be friends why can't we at least chat and so you were like really blessed that this sheriff you know hears this commotion comes out and takes the time to get to know you right that's Mm -hmm. that's that's the beauty of it. And if we could do that across the board in the, in those situations, have that conversation, right. And just uh, find out what, you know, what makes people tick. People are actually kind of cool. kind of yeah. complex <laughs> and cool. Yeah.
1: So I want to uh, also, that, that's really good. I don't want to go there as well, but you, you mentioned a couple of things I want to bring back up too. there. There's a point where you said, I need to recognize this came from my mom or my grandma. And I want to, I want to put a stop to one of the generational curses. these habits or patterns that have been in my life to that's takes the Holy spirit, you know, guiding you through your conscience. Saying, I need an active choice to do something different, to start a different pattern for my kids. That's really powerful. And then the second thing was like Doug was saying in this relationship thing, but what you're talking about too, is taking these lessons that you've learned, the tough yeah. lessons, the things that you've grown to change for your kids and change for communities, but take these stories and convey them to people so they get it as well. A story is very powerful. When you tell them that, yeah, I'm with or with you, I've had problems, but how we fixed it, how I fixed it for my kids so they don't see the issues and don't have the issues is because this story happened. We got engaged. We showed up. They built relationship. They turned out and bent over backwards because they're like us in our community. I love that. But the stories and then recognizing that these are patterns that we have to stop that came through our generational ties, right? Yes. Yeah, Yeah. good, good.
2: Yes, I even um, learned, um, what is this? Because I go to Evergreen State College, so we all know that's like a liberal (laughs) college. And going in, I was, you know, when you already go with your preconceived notions Mm -hmm. of people and places, so I'm like in my head, I'm already ready. Y'all about to know I am a black conservative. <laughs> you know? I'm proud. I'm about to light this class up. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but it did like start off that way. It started off, okay, we're doing the lessons. And then when we get to the lesson about Trump, mm. and they're trying to say that, Trump, how horrible of a president he was and um, Biden is coming in to do better and all these things. This is what Biden's policies are. And so like in my head, I'm sitting, I'm boiling, I'm waiting. Um, my head, my <laughs> little hand raised on the Zoom. I'm ready. <laughs> I'm ready. So of course, I come out with everything that I had to say. I said, first off, why don't you go to whitehouse.gov, look up, you know, I'm just going down my whole thing. And so it was like a couple people with their little things in the chat. And when I, so I'm like lighting them up in the chat and then we go into the separate groups and everybody's um, talking, you know, like asking me, why would you as a black woman be um, a conservative? They don't like you, this, that, and the other, but it was like more of a calmer conversation. Mm-hmm. So I will bring up things of, I said like, well, first let, let's stop with what about me being black, you being white, right. or if Trump is racist or if Biden's racist, let's, let's talk about, let's pick an issue that, mm-hmm. that we both can agree on. So okay. then when we start talking about that, those things of going back down to issues, then it's like, so we actually basically, you're basically really a conservative, you mm-hmm. just don't know it you have a recognized you're you're going on the assumption of what media is telling you about us or a, a group of of things so then what it made me do was kind of back up of coming out blazing I'm a, I'm a black conservative thing of let's just start talking on humanistic things of what concerns our community? Let's not think too far above us because some of us can't think federal, you know. Right, so right. let's talk, let's talk here. And then after a while, when um, when like most of my class found out that I was January 6th and and they were um, at first they was like, oh, the people at January 6th are horrible. And I said, I was there January 6th. and everybody said, oh. Well, that's cool. You know? <laughs> so it's like right? I started being more accepted as a conservative in the class, but it was like the approach of coming in of people don't like to be talked that they like right. to be talked to, and sometimes people when they're already angry and hurt won't see your point. If you come out with the, um, with the bigger picture, you have to start breaking it down in chunks.
1: That's so good. Um, It's it's the the whole problem
2: of
0: stereotyping, right? It's, you know, if you're a Trump supporter, then you are this, this equals this and mathematics, you know, maybe you could say, you know, two plus two equals four and that's great. But when it comes to people, they're more nuanced than that.
2: Mm -hmm. And,
0: and in you being, having the courage to say, hey, I was there. I was at January six, and they're like, uh, because uh, uh, they said everybody at January six is bad, right? That's stereotyping. Yeah. You, the white this entire story. group, and you're like, you know, wait a minute. There was a lot of people in Washington D.C. on January six that had real concerns about the election. That had yeah. real concerns about stuff, and they wanted to be heard, and they were treated. As if they were criminals because they exercise their First Amendment right. Very scary stuff. Yep. And so good, good on you. Some for are still up for being that. held. Yeah, oh some my are gosh. still being held. It's great. I wish I uh, could have been on that Zoom call. Right.
2: But, <laughs> yeah.
1: But Doug, catch this though. Alona did one creator thing there as well. Because I was asked this just the other day by a young person. It said my liberal family members or my friends, I argue with them. They won't listen to me. I go, but well, you're arguing with them. You can win the argument, but not win your friend. The, the right. key here, you realize that, okay, I'm going to come in. I'm going to listen. I'm going to be bold about who I am, but I'm not here to win an argument. I'm win, there to win them over. So when they're, first of all, they're accepting you based on the way you look, that you're in the class, then you, that you're you talking confidently. It's, wait, wait, what, what you're saying is challenging what I believe, but you're not trying to beat it on me. You're trying to say, oh, okay, now tell, tell me more why you're involved in that. Why are you conservative? Why do you believe this thing? And and exactly right. When you talk about the issues, most people agree that they want better education for the kids. Most people agree they want safe neighborhoods. Most people, when you talk about the issues that affect us each day, don't want to pay more taxes, right? Right. So those are the issues that you can actually get down to and say, yeah, it's not about Republican, Democrat, whatever. And then they know you and you come out and say, yeah, I'm a conservative, I'm a Christian. They're like, oh, Okay, they've not rejected or (laughs) neglected anything you might say up front. Right. So very powerful. This is good lessons.
2: Yes. (laughs) But um, I find that um, people always like myself, I always tell my kids that I know that I'm not perfect. I know that um, even if I was to disagree with them on something that I told them that even if. I think that my way is right. My, there's sometimes more than one right way
0: mm-hmm. to
2: something. And it doesn't mean that your way is wrong. Because a lot of times my kids, my kids have always grown up to respect whatever I think or say. So if I tell them no about something, then they're not going to do it. Mm-hmm. But they're adults now. So I try to not be that hands-on so they get frustrated with me because they want a yes or a no from me and I tell them it's not about me making those relationships like I like I told them I said if you I don't expect you to be a Christian because I told you this is the right way right. so if you tell me today I don't want to be a Christian I want to be Buddhist or something I'm going to respect that because at the end of the day the only way you'll get back to wherever you're supposed to be is if you've had experiences that bring you to that place, because that's what it mean to you. I said, I could never do Christianity growing up because it was always told that I was had to be a Christian and I could never. That's like, oh, you have a relationship. No, I don't have a relationship. Mm-hmm. I have, have a relationship you made me have. Yep. So it doesn't mean anything to me. Cause at the end of the day, if I stand before God, I'm still going to hell because I did it because you said, not because I had a relationship. Yeah. So so I tell him, I said, so whatever your relationship or whatever it takes to get you there, it's it's for you. That's your relationship. And I don't want to interfere in that by telling you, oh, you're wrong today because today you're you're a Buddhist and tomorrow you this and then. Five years later, you turn around to be a Christian because all of this stuff happened to you and it brought you back there. And I don't want to be the one to interfere and slow up that process. Then I don't want them to feel like I'm going to judge you because I tell them I was there once before. I didn't make all the right choices. So my ahas, I had a lot of ahas at 35.
1: Yep. And you probably have more 50 and 55. Yeah, it's the way it works when you're open to it. So you mentioned the book a couple of times. I want to know, I know Doug does. I know our listeners want to know um, what, at what point do you say, I'm going to write a book, you know, and then how that process happened.
2: Um, Well, in school, my teachers always said I I did great writings, um, especially when we had our storytelling time,
0: Mm -hmm. everybody
2: would always love my journaling. and would always want me to read. And one day um, my, my therapist was like, You should write a book. And I was like, no, that's a lot of work. So then I, (laughs) so I sat down, I started writing and I think I got like a hundred and something pages done. And then my, it was back then it was the floppy disk, the floppy disk got damaged. So I'm like, I had to start over and I said, I'm not starting over. That's a lot of work. But then I just started over again. And then my computer crashed. And I'm like, okay, maybe it's not meant for me to write this book. And then I said, okay, no, I'm just gonna start writing bit by bit by bit. The
1: fighter in you came out. So now I'm gonna keep on doing it. Right? Come on. <laughs>
2: yeah. And then I wrote again. Something happened to that. And then I started writing. And I was like, I'm not, I'm done. I'm done writing. But then my son, he come to me in my room reading. Holding my computer, and he was like crying. He was like, Mom, I can't believe this happened to you. So now, like, I have to finish writing because I can't leave him with this incomplete feeling of right. his mom is damaged and broken, and she doesn't find a way, you know, how to think So now I have to finish. So finally, 2014, <laughs> I finished it. And so it was like, What do I do with it now? So I found It's, it's kind
0: of like what we led off with today when we're talking about, yes. you know, yep. you, 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 writing a book. Yeah. It's big. It took a while, but you know, you, you, you found motivation as you continued yeah, to finish yeah. the book and, yeah. um, why not, you know, why not take a year or two or whatever to write a book? I mean, you're never going to, you know, if, if you don't start cause it's too much work. Um, Yeah it's because, you know, it, it, again, it's what I said earlier in the program, Americans want, you know, I want a book and I want to by the end of February. It's like, right. yeah, that probably isn't going to happen unless you've been <laughs> doing this for a while. And you can really type at like 150 words a minute and right. stuff like that. Right. And you really got, you know what you're going to say. Cause a lot of it develops, right. As you're going along, yeah. like you've mentioned journaling. Right.
2: Yeah. And, then I, and, and like you said, I just, I didn't, Instead of thinking of it as I'm getting ready to sit here and take a whole month and try to write every single day, what I did, I would do that. I would just pick it up bit by bit. Today, I feel like writing. I want to sit here. Or today, I am hurting and I need to put all this, you know, like this genuine transparency down while it's happening so that way people can feel it Mm -hmm. as opposed to me trying to conjure it up later and say, okay, I was feeling this way. But no, when I'm feeling that moment, I can write in that moment and feel it and then go back and reassess it and add in. So,
1: so before the book, I love this. I, I love the fact and how you, the creative process came Is you want to get emotions out as they are raw. And, and the fact that your son came and saw the book was emotionally moved by it, that triggered this. That's the Holy Spirit movement, but they're giving you on track, encouraging you to, to keep on going, even with the obstacles where the enemy's coming in and stopping you with a computer and a floppy disk and that kind of stuff. Yeah, in the book, I'm sure you tell us. uh, But uh, you went in the military. You're growing up. You have the issues with anger and suicidal tendencies and so forth. What happened? Well, was it just an aha moment? You come to Christ. What was the deal that made your life kind of open up? You start thinking about forgiveness and stuff. Go for it.
2: Um, The oh, this I'll tell you. This incident that that gave me an aha moment of opening up. It's something that I never thought that I would do. So my um, daughter was three years old and I was going to go do a commercial. And I back then I homeschooled my kids and I was a stay at home mom because I received military benefits so I didn't have to go to school. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really trust nobody with my kids. So my neighbor, she offered to watch my kids for me while i was going to go do the commercial because she was like you should do something for yourself don't always you know because if it didn't involve where i could take my kids i was not doing it so <laughs> so um she her and her grandkids watch babysat my kids so a couple days later i'm going to the mailbox and the neighbor's grandson walking in front of my car i call out his name and my daughter says mom you know, he he put his thing in my mouth and I was like, what? What? So yep. for me, when that moment when you hear something like that, your first reaction is to run, I'm about to run him over. Mm-hmm. I'm about to, you know, like, cause mm-hmm. I'm sitting in the car. And so, you know, like I asked her a couple of questions, but I know being in her position as a child, you can't ask questions a certain way because it'll make you as a child feel like maybe they think I'm a liar. Right. So I just told her to tell me her story. And then I was like, okay, now I'm like having, I guess you say a mental breakdown inside, but trying not to show her. And then it's like, in my head, I said, if I run this kid over in front of her. She's going to think it's her fault. She's going to be damaged, not because of what he did, but because of what I did. So it's like, okay, let me go home. So I went to the neighbor because I knew them, but I already had in my head that nothing they said was going to change me calling the police. Mm-hmm. But I went to, I let it get told her. I said, this is what happened. I'm getting ready to call the police. So the lady, she was like, no, go ahead by all means, because I come from being sexually abused and nobody never made me feel like I meant anything. So wow. I encourage you to, I support you and things. And I was happy for that, you know, cause in my head, mm-hmm. I'm like, if they say no, I'm letting you know, I'm, I'm just giving you a heads up kind of thing. Right. So when the um, police come and they did their investigation thing and I think they bring like a, a advocate person mm-hmm. out And um, you as the parent can't be with your child. They separate you and take them off. And so they're doing their investigation and the advocate and the police officer said, whatever you did to your, um, however you raised her, she's not gonna be traumatized from this. And her her story is able to be credible because we can tell that it was not tampered with because of the way she was consistent with her story. And so they asked me, what did I do? I said, well, ever since they were kids, I always remember growing up, um, you know, being molested. I will, um, what things a pedophile says, how they try to groom you and things. So I taught my kids those things, which is if somebody say you don't tell your mom, you tell me your secret and we're going to have a party because my kids at that time like to swim in the tub mm-hmm. and bake cakes so I said and that's what we had did that day but I say we're going to have a party we're going to bake cakes we're going to put um pool toys in the tub all this kind of stuff if you tell me your secret because my kids know nobody keeps secret in my in my house right and so and then the other thing is or if they say I'm going to kill you kill your parents all this other stuff and I always I would never tell my kids to to just really just say no. You say no if they still try to push or become threatening. I said, don't ever feel guilty for just cooperating because I want you to be safe, but know that mom is going to handle this kind of thing. Yep. So, um you know, I taught them that ever since they were babies, like even with washing themselves and stuff like that, I would teach them, pop my hand if I'm trying to wash you down there you right. know even though it was me so right. no pop my hand and then as they grow older, I add on more more um lessons so that's what helped her to know john because he told her don't tell nobody it's our secret right. so right. that's how she knew how to tell me and they said because of the constant um training that she had mm-hmm. it was not traumatic for her to not know how to handle so she was confident and who she was and how to handle things because I gave her that, um, empowered her and things. But when it came to the um, court case, I, you know, like it just. Hold on, Alana. Yeah. We got, uh, not
1: a lot of times. I want to make sure that people yeah. understand they can if they can get your book, first of all, how, yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> that this has a happy ending. Meaning that there's lessons yeah. you learned out of it that people can get, draw from, that there's hope. There's forgiveness. There's, there's these things and especially in this season, we're talking about the ultimate forgiveness when Christ died on the cross for us. Um, yes. this, you have the story. I mean, I'm in, I'm engaged. I want to hear more and I don't want to run out of time without giving the opportunity for people to know that uh, there's hope there. So how do they find your book?
2: My book is on, um, well, if they go to on Facebook, mm-hmm. I have a, a Facebook page called love always. And, um, you'll see my picture there <laughs> on there and you can order my book on there. Cause I have, a, I have a link to lulu.com, but you mm-hmm. have to have that link to actually go there and get it. And, okay. and you can also email, email me or inbox me at winter rose. That's R O S E 21 at yahoo.com. And I have books on hand as well.
1: Wonderful. And the biggest takeaway about forgiveness and hope is what from your book?
2: The biggest takeaway about forgiveness and hope is just um, pretty much you learn to set boundaries with people, having your own boundaries and your standards. The consequences that goes with people when someone crosses those boundaries and sticking with them because we're actually accountable for ourselves. It's not our job to change other people and whatnot. We can only love them where they are. So, yeah. That's good. <laughs> Be
0: free. You can be free and they can be free and you don't leave your purse out in front of a thief. So it's <laughs> yes. real interesting. Alona Kearney. So it's, uh, give that, give the Facebook page again. Love always love always on Facebook and uh, go check it out. I think you're going to enjoy that. So, uh, we got like one minute left. What would your, what would you, uh, tell our listeners, what's a good thing for 2022 as we're going into this new year?
2: For 2022, I would say, because I'm a person when I I believe that the years really go by the seasons, So Mm -hmm. fall, I mean, winter is when everything dies. So that's when you should really be spring, winter cleaning out your emotions, going over, you know, like relationships that are dead, that, you know, at least should be dead. People who are toxic in your life, clearing out those things. How are you going to set boundaries with these people, whether they're just people who really need to be cleared out. And when spring comes, that's beginning in a new.
0: Yeah, I love it.
2: Elona, thank you
0: so much for being our guest today. Hey, we want to remind you, you can uh, listen to this broadcast again and find out more about us. Contact us at DougandMarty.com, DougandMarty.com. And I hope you have a Merry Christmas and a very, very happy New Year. This is Doug Bassler.
1: And Marty McClendon, Doug and Marty versus the world.